Our great God in heaven, we pray that as we look at these words written for us from you, uh, that they would do good to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, because we can't make them do good by ourselves, but we need your spirit to bring to us your life through your living word. Uh, so please would you help us now to hear and to respond in faith to what you are telling. Amen. So, uh, what, what do you do when you sit down to your dinner and, um, and the food is bland, tasteless? What do you do? Uh, you could criticise the food, you could complain to the cook, um, or you probably need to go for a coronavirus test, because um, that's one of the symptoms, isn't it? Um, not being able to taste food. Um, if that happens, go for a test, that's what we're told. Um, the same thing, the same thing is true of our hearts. Now, when something good is given to us and we find it tasteless, we could criticise the cook, or maybe we should ask questions about whether there is some sickness in our souls. And what I mean by that this morning is that when the grace of God, um, the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ is put in front of us and we cannot be bothered with it, when, when the grace of God comes to us and it is, well, if we're honest, we just don't really care that much and we find it tasteless, it might be because there is something wrong with us. And, and as we start out just in our sermon this morning, um, this might be happening to us right now. Because no, for the next bit of time, I'm going to talk about what the Bible says. I'm going to talk about Jesus, about what Jesus said, about the passage that Mark has read. And, and I cannot promise to be interesting or exciting, but I can promise the subject will be Jesus. And even as I talk now, and I know this because I've sat in a lot of sermons, even as I talk, it can be very hard for those who are hearing to be bothered and to care. It can be hard to do that. So let's see how our passage speaks to this. Now, I think it's really helpful for us as we um, come to Matthew's gospel to keep remembering uh, where we are, where, where we've come to. And uh, Matthew writes to us about the life of the Lord Jesus. He traces the events of Jesus' life from the from the cradle to the cross, um, and then to the resurrection beyond. Um, and we are on the final leg of that journey. There's, and, and as we get to this kind of, at the end of what Matthew tells us, lots of what he has said starts to hit home. Uh, right towards the beginning, Matthew records how Jesus kind of burst onto the scene as an adult. And Matthew is so keen to keep showing to us again and again how Jesus fulfills what was expected in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 4, we're told about this expectation of a light that would shine into the land of the shadow of death. The whole world has been under the shadow of death since sin first happened in Eden. And yet the prophet spoke of this time when the shadow would be pushed back. This hope, this astonishing hope, a hope beyond hope, really, of a world where death is undone. Uh, almost too good to speak of. But that was the promise. And Matthew says, now that the Christ has come, it's the dawn of that new deathless day. And we're told this is the inbreaking of the kingdom. Now, right from the start, Jesus' message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of death, which is our natural home, has been invaded with the kingdom of light and life. The kingdom of heaven is near. And the advance of this kingdom, the invasion of this kingdom, comes with the advance of Christ towards Jerusalem. We saw a couple of weeks ago how Jesus 
rode into the city of Jerusalem, deliberately presenting himself as the king. The kingdom of heaven has come near because the king has come. So, so imagine that you've lived in a land that has been long ruled by a cruel dictator. A, a land where life is harsh and it's hard and, and yet it's the only life you've known. And you, you try to make the best of it and then one day comes this news. The news that the rightful king has come back. There are skirmishes on the streets. There is, there is unrest and you have to decide where your allegiance will be. Will you stick to what you have always known or will you follow the new king? Will you belong to this invading kingdom? Matthew tells us the kingdom of heaven has come near because the king has come. And the question for all people is, which side are you on? Well, the religious leaders aren't very impressed with what they see. They, they are arguing with Jesus in this passage that we have before us today. And just before it, in chapter 21, verse 23, they demand to know uh, by what authority Jesus does these things. Where does he get it from? And in response, Jesus tells three stories. The first story, Jesus tells us about these two sons, and he concludes chapter 21, verse 30, 31. He says, Truly I tell you, to the religious leaders, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The religious leaders are not going to switch allegiance so they cannot belong to the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus tells a second story about a vineyard. And he concludes that story in 21 verse 43 by saying, Therefore I tell you, the religious leaders, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The religious leaders will not submit to God. They, they refuse the true king, so they cannot belong to the kingdom of heaven. And they know that Jesus is talking about them. They're seething about it. They're desperate to get their hands on him. But they're afraid of the crowds. And so Jesus keeps on going. Our passage, look how our passage begins, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. One more story for these religious leaders. And now this story is explicitly about the kingdom of heaven. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is light. That, that inbreaking of light, that, that, that dawn of this deathless day, the end to sorrow and sin and suffering under the reign of the gentle king, what is it like? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. He tells a story about a king preparing a wedding banquet for his son. But the guests don't, don't want to come. What point is he trying to make from his story? Well, if we skip to the end of verse 14, we find the punchline. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The reign of life invades the realm of death and many are invited to belong to the kingdom of heaven but few are chosen. Few actually belong. It's not a comfortable story. Now Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who are intent on killing him. They will not have him as their king. Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who are proving at that moment by their actions that although they are invited, they are not chosen. And so let's take Jesus' punchline um, and work through this story. How does his punchline begin? Many are invited. The kingdom of heaven is like an amazing, an amazing, mind-blowing 
invitation. Uh, Jesus chooses to tell a story um, to people about being invited to the best party imaginable. Now, all of us have an ideal of what a best party is. I have a t-shirt at home that says, I like to party, and by party I mean read books. Um, Everyone has an ideal party, don't they? Um, But getting an invite to a party is generally a good thing. But this isn't just any old party that Jesus tells about. It's a royal party. Not just any royal party, it's a royal wedding party. Not just any royal wedding, but it's the royal wedding party for the king's son. This party will be epic. There'll be no expense spared. It will have the best of everything. Now, if we're going to track with the sharp edge of this parable, then we probably need to just pause and ask, how would we feel? How how excited would we be to get an invite to our best imaginable party? Now, what what would that party be for you? Would it be, I don't know, a kind of VIP pass to some Grand Prix thing? Um, To get an invite to an after-show party for your favorite band? Get an invite to the palace to have dinner with the queen? Can you imagine getting that invite and, and then being blown away by having the invite, having butterflies in your stomach and sleepless nights of excitement as the date approaches? Jesus says that's what it ought to be like to get an invite to the kingdom of heaven. And is it for us? No, is it when we hear the invitation of Scripture to enter the kingdom of heaven through faith in Christ? Are we are we blown away, overcome with happiness and excitement? Are we are we buzzing about it? Many are invited. And notice though the crucial part of the invitation, verse two. A king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, the invitation is to the wedding banquet prepared for the king's son. Now, now hold that in our minds as we just try and kind of um, consider for a moment what kind of party we are invited to in the kingdom of heaven. Remember how uh, the shadow of death is invaded by light. The kingdom of heaven comes. Uh, That expectation spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Prophet Isaiah added to that this future hope in Isaiah 25. He said, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wine. We can see how Jesus' story sits under this expectation, this prepared feast, a wonderful banquet, this great party. And Isaiah explains in the next verse, on this mountain. He will destroy the shroud, the death cloak that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. That's the invitation of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, We are invited by God Almighty to this feast to this joy-filled celebration, the celebration that our greatest final last enemy has been swallowed up. The new deathless day has dawned, a day of comfort, a day when the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. So much is captured in that, the the tenderness of the Almighty that, that he removes the particular sorrows of each of his people. 
and his people's disgrace removed, forgiveness of sins, removal of guilt, transformation of our crumbling hearts into the eternal bliss. J.C. Ryle said, it is a complete provision for all the wants of a person's soul. Everything needed by death-bound sinners is answered in this invitation. It is food for the hungry, it's joy for the mourner, home for the outcast, it's friend to the lost. This is the invitation that goes above every other invitation. There is nothing like it. But but bring that back to Jesus' story, which tells of an invitation to the wedding banquet prepared for the king's son. You see, this party is focused on one person. This this purpose is to celebrate the king's son. In fact, this, this whole party flows from the king's love for his son. Everything the king does in this story is for his son. Everything is to honor his son. This is a king who delights in his son. That's what sustains the greatness of this invitation. And the invitation of the kingdom of heaven is not for me to be made much of. And the invitation of the kingdom of heaven is not to throw a party for me. Not my party. And it's not your party. It's his party. It's a party for the king's son. Now, if this was a party to make much of me, it wouldn't last very long. There's not enough of me to sustain it. Now, as as we reach this point in Matthew's gospel and we read a story of a king who delights in his son, that there are two events that jump to mind. Back in Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open and God the Father called down, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. In Matthew 17, Jesus goes up the mountain, he's transfigured, his face shines like the sun and God declares, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then when Jesus explains the kingdom of heaven with a story about a king who delights in his son, in fact a story about an invitation to join the celebration of the king's delight in his son, we are being given a glimpse of the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel is that God the Father loves God the Son. He loves him with an infinite, eternal, raging, fierce, full, complete love. The the love of all loves, the original of loves. This unmeasurable ocean of delight lavished constantly from God the Father unto God the Son. That's what this party is all about. And our invitation, the invitation is to come and to share in that delight. That's what Jesus' prayer was for us. Uh, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prays to his father in John 17. He says, I have made you known to them, to those who will believe in him, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, the delight of that party, the king's party for his son, the love of the father for the son, may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prays that we will be able to delight in him and to love him even as the Father loves him and we will get caught up into that fellowship with God. There are many invited. That's that's the point. This is an unbeatably, astoundingly, gloriously brilliant invitation. And it's an invitation laden with grace. See how the story describes the freeness of the invitation. This isn't a... This isn't a a ticket to be bought, it's a gift to be received. In verse 4, 
The invitation says, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Feel the grace of it. Everything ready. That's the kind of invitation that the kingdom of heaven gives. It's an everything is ready kind of invitation. It's an there is nothing more needed. God is ready for you as we hear the invitation today. It's an everything is ready. It's that the father's arms are open. The son's blood has been shed. Forgiveness has been purchased. The spirit is ready. He's ready to renew and to comfort and to counsel. The angels are ready to rejoice. It's all ready. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's ready. There's nothing more needed. Everything is ready. Don't need to do anything but come. That's the invitation. It's just come. Grace. Not asking you to bring your own food because there might not be enough. The food is hot and the table is set. All you need is to come. Ready. Many are invited. Now, these parties that Jesus is talking about, they worked with a kind of double invitation. First invitation went out to see who could come. And then when it was ready, the second invitation went out. That, that's the invitation that gets refused in the story. And, and when it's refused, the king says to his servants, but the banquet is ready, in verse 8. So go to the street corners. Invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. All people. An indiscriminate invitation. The servants aren't selected. There's no test. There's no kind of morality check. They invited all. Many are invited. That is the kingdom of heaven. The punchline, many are invited, but few are chosen. Not a comfortable story that Jesus is telling. Not everyone belongs to the kingdom of heaven. There are some who remain in the land of death shadow. And what does he mean by few are chosen? Well, well, let's go through the parable again and see who they are. Who doesn't get to join the party? Uh, Jesus describes those who are not chosen in a number of ways. Who are not chosen? Well, first of all, verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. They'd been invited, they'd already agreed to come, they'd got the save the date, they'd replied, they'd said they'd be there. But when push came to shove, they refused. Literally, they did not want to go. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a party that people don't want to go to. What's going on? Why is good food sometimes unappealing, sometimes tasteless? Fault's not with the food. The the, the challenge here is, no, some people speak about going to the party. Uh, Some people say, I've got the invitation. I belong to the kingdom of heaven. But when things, when push comes to shove, they don't want to go. Why? Well, let's follow Jesus a bit further. Secondly, the king sends the invitation again. There's more urgency. He describes how good this party is. All you've got to do is come, come to the wedding banquet. And then verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. What's the thought process at this point? Have they sat down to say, look, on one hand, on one hand, we've got going to a royal wedding party. It's the best of everything. There's no expense spared. It's a free invitation. On one hand, we've got that. On the other hand, we've got going to a field. 
Now, I, I like fields. Now, you know, going to fields is a fine thing to do, isn't it? I'm all up for that. Um, this is a field of work, of course. It's good to be committed to your job. But, but how have these people got to this point where the invitation is of such little importance? that They're just happy to get on with the ordinary and normal things of life. The point isn't that the field or the business is urgent, it's that the invitation is of no interest. It's like those endless flyers we get through the door. We got a flyer through the door this week about um, driveway improvement. We haven't got a driveway. So it, so it sat on the floor and I trampled on it for a few days until I finally thought I should probably put it in the bin. No interest to me. That's how they treat this invitation. It's no interest. Why? Why wouldn't they care? Well, let's go on. Verse 6. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. What do you make of this? Now, I, I, I wonder whether this is the point in the story where we think that the parable goes a bit AWOL here. And yet, in reality, really, as soon as people dismiss the king's invitation, the invitation to the king's son wedding, there's the shock. Uh, the violent attack is just more of the same. The treatment of the servants reveals what the people think about the king. There's something about the king's invitation that is so offensive, they want to permanently silence it. Why? Why would they dismiss the invitation? Why would they kill the servants? Doesn't this show what they think about the king? Or doesn't it show that they think this invitation is either false or foul? Doesn't it show that they think this is a king who is not worth honouring? There's one more aspect to this character, the character of those not chosen. It comes towards the end when the party is filled and the king comes to inspect those who were gathered together in verse 11. He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless and his speechlessness speaks volumes. This man knew he could have had the right clothes. But either he couldn't be bothered or he didn't think it was worth it. He's come to the party to celebrate the king's son wedding, son's wedding, but he's not really there to celebrate. They're in body, but not in spirit. Like that first group who said they would go, but in the end, he didn't want to. This man does not want to honor the son. He's not there to enjoy the king's celebration. And so he doesn't belong. He is not chosen. And how does the king respond to these things? Well, first of all, to those who killed the servants in verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Secondly, to the man without wedding clothes in verse 13, then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the king's love for his son is double-edged. The murder of the servants and the man with the wrong clothes both display deep contempt for the king's son and the king's love for his son. The justice which demands that the king's son is honoured is the same that demands this rage. And just as we zoom out a little from the parable, we see how inevitable these judgments are. 
uh, that the world is covered with the dark cloud of death's shadow. The kingdom of heaven shines light into the darkness, dawns the deathless day. For those who refuse the invitation will stay in the dark. For those who won't come to the banquet, what remains? Verse 13, the man is thrown into the darkness. You see, when we ask of this parable, who are those who are not chosen? The answer in the parable is those who don't want to be. Those who don't care. And and theologically, we might want to say much more about the chosen, but the punchline of the parable rests here. That those who are chosen to belong are those to whom it is a care. And those who aren't bothered don't belong to the kingdom of heaven. Many are invited, but few are chosen. We have to ask ourselves, what do we make of this invitation? The invitation is the gospel. That's what it is. It's the good news. The good news that through the death of Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness of sin. That through the resurrection of Christ Jesus, there is certain hope of life beyond death. Life with God, life with our tears wiped away, with sorrows undone, sadness removed. Life with Christ Jesus in the eternal peace, in fellowship with the God of love. That is the invitation to belong to the kingdom of heaven. The invitation is grace. And when the grace of God in Christ Jesus is put in front of us and we can't be bothered, it happens to all of us. And when it happens, the problem is not the invitation. But what do we do? What do we do with that? Let me, uh, let, let me try and land this for us in two things. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's remember, being invited is not enough. There's a driving point in this parable, isn't there? As Jesus speaks to these very religious people, people who look the part, they say the right things. They have been invited, but they are not chosen. Now, how do we know they're not chosen? Because they didn't care. They weren't bothered. They didn't want Jesus. Many are invited. We are invited. All of us have heard the invitation, but hearing the invitation is not enough for us. To go to church is not enough for us. You can go to church all of your life and not belong to the kingdom of heaven. To call yourself a Christian is not enough. To know the right answers is not enough. Many are invited, many look the part, many even turn up to the party, and yet when the king comes and inspects them, he finds there is no love for his son. Now as we think about ourselves, do you know how people who do not belong respond to being invited? Do you know how they respond? These stories, they show it. They show that people who are not invited after being, people who don't belong after being invited, they push Jesus further away. People who go to church and they hear the gospel and then when they leave, as quickly as possible, they push away any thoughts of Christ. Any of those uncomfortable questions that bubble away, we bury them down. Those who don't belong push away all thoughts of Christ. They do their best not to think of him in the week. Everything else becomes more important than him. The fields and the businesses and anything so we don't have to think about Jesus. Being invited is not enough. But secondly, I should say being not bothered. Definitely say being not bothered. Deliberate mistake. Not undeliberate. Being not bothered is not the end. 
Now, there's a hit of this in the parable, isn't there? And many are invited, but few are chosen. Who are those who are chosen? Well, those who care. Those who are bothered. But, but we all know what it's like not to care for the things of Christ. And, and in our hearts, when we make light or little of Christ, don't we also deserve the Father's fury as we trample on his son? Now, if we don't delight in Christ, if we don't love for Christ to be honoured, then we can't belong to the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is the Father's delight in honouring the Son. And the end for those who refuse that delight. Darkness. But, but, but let's, let's grasp onto this. The judgment that is depicted in this parable foreshadows what will come at the end. And we're not yet there. Now, if we want to kind of think about where we sit in this parable, if we want to take our uninterested hearts and kind of stick them in day to day in somewhere in this parable, where would we find ourselves? At what stage are we at? I wonder if so often we're at kind of verse four. The invitation has gone out. And those who have heard it refused to come. They didn't want to come. It was a tasteless invitation. Invitation. It was dull to them. It was, it was dreary. They couldn't be bothered with it. And, and the offense of this to the king is an unbearable defense because it's his son who is being dishonored. It's his son who is being despised. So what does the king do? Verse 4, he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This is the kingdom of heaven. The king of love is patient with those who don't care. And when we are not interested, he continues to put before us the wonders of his love. Now, being not bothered is not the end. And we might want to ask ourselves when we don't care, do we care that we don't care? Is it a bother that we are not bothered? Are we content with our futile distractions? Do we want to be bothered? Because King Jesus is still the gentle king. King Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these religious leaders that Jesus spoke to would not see their poverty. They would not see their emptiness. But when we find ourselves empty and poor in spirit, the feast is ready. He's got everything we need. And, and yet, what if what we need, really, we know what we need is just the willingness. That's what we lack. We don't care. How do we get that? In this story, Jesus lumps together those who pay no attention to the invitation and those who murder the servant. And perhaps we should then call our indifference to Christ what it is. It is sin. Our, our indifference to Christ in every form, is an offence to the majesty of the Most High such that it warrants his fury. And therein is our hope. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. And what sorts of sins did he come for? All sorts of sins, including the sin of indifference, 
including the sin of apathy, including the sin of I can't be bothered and I don't care. He came for everyday and ordinary sins. And to save us, he stood himself in that stream of divine fury to ensure that the invitation to us would be free. And he says, come, it's all ready. My father's feast is prepared. Everything is done. I've paid for your sins with my blood. There is no more debt. It is done. He says, I've covered your weakness with my strength. He says, yes, I know you are poor in spirit. And he says, yes, you may mourn. And yes, you may long for righteousness. But Jesus says, it is on my account that I invite you to come. And to come with your tears and I will wipe them away. And to come with your sins and I will cover them with my blood. And to come with your death and I will raise you to life. The king says, come. Let's come. Our Father in heaven, please would you give us hearts that are able to grasp just a little more of the immensity of your grace and your love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we are hard in our hearts, dull and slow and just so cold, would you remind us again that Christ Jesus came to save us from our sins, even these. And may we come, draw us, keep drawing us. Please continue your patience to us and your mercy that we might know the truth of our belonging to the kingdom of heaven, because we do love your son. Amen.